Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Silent Giants is brought to you by Ali. Ali, powered by Verizon locations, are developed by Verizon, the world's leading technology company. In collaboration with Alley, a membership-only community workspace for creators. Each location is a community curated powered by the emerging technologies and thought leadership of Verizon. With Alley, Verizon is bridging the gap between startup and corporation by helping the community workspace build next-level ecosystems for entrepreneurs. And now, on to my interview with Chuck Marcus. I create content. Content could be anything. That could be you drinking water, content. We'll make it an ad. We'll sell it. We'll figure it out. Uh, I every, every opportunity is content to me. A photographer is just a person with a camera. That's how I look at it. Yeah, yeah, check it out. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Uh, yeah. Everybody tuning in, you invited, you invited. No matter what mood you in, get excited, get excited. Everybody love the music, let me tell you how they do it. Whether writer or an agent, let me tell you how they made it. You are now talking to a silent giant. Wanna walk in their shoes, silent giants. Wanna study they moves, silent giants. Wanna know what they do, silent giants. Silent giants, y'all. <laughs> Pod bless and welcome to another episode of the Silent Giants podcast, a podcast that highlights the superstars behind the scenes of popular culture. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. To keep up with the latest on the show, be sure to follow us on Instagram at, at Silent Giants Podcast. To keep up with my life, music, and more, be sure to follow me as well at, at Corey Cambridge. Our special guest this episode is my dear friend, photographer, and content producer, Chuck Marcus. My friendship with Chuck began when I was an intern at Play Close Clothing Line, and from the beginning, we began an instant brotherhood. Since that time, way back in 2015, Chuck has emerged as one of the top budding photographers in New York City, working with brands like Adidas, Foot Locker, and Foot Action. He stopped by the podcast, and through our conversation, I was able to learn more about Chuck's early life as a New York City native, how he got into photography, we get personal about the bumps and lessons he's learned along his professional journey, and so much more. I got so much love for this brother, and it's my extreme honor to introduce to you the photographer, content producer, my friend, the silent giant, Chuck Marcus. Okay, let me get one more mic check from you. Mic check, one, two, one, two, Chuck Marcus, one of one, uptown, here we go. (laughs) I like how you get on the mic and you approach the interview like like a rapper. Hey, man. <laughs> I, I should have been a host. Well, well, it's a common trend for folks on the show to get on the mic and they go, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just holding a microphone brings up the inner rapper and people. It does. It does. And plus, I, used, I, I realized later in my life, too late in my goddamn life, that I should have been a goddamn radio personality host. You have a lot of personality. should have did that shit. You know what? You have a lot of opinions and personality. Yeah, I should have did that shit. Well, I feel like you have it. It takes a certain type of person to say, I think that's whack. I think that's cool. I think that's dope. I think that's fresh. I think that's stupid. 
I feel like you're that person. Definitely. You've known that since we've met. Yeah, I feel like if, if, if I came outside not right, if I had a booger up my nose, you'd be, you'd be the one friend no, to be like... I gotta touch you, bro. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, we, people know that we know each other. So just can't you have you out here looking all crazy? Just can't. Yo, some people will leave you with that booger in the nose. Yeah, because they don't... That's the people... I just told you this off air, man. People don't care. They're exposing <laughs> themselves to you. They let you move like that. They don't care. Remember that. So, everybody, what's going on? This is Chuck Marcus. What's up, Chuck? Yo, peace, peace, God, peace to the planet. You know what I'm saying? One of one, we uptown, Harlem world. Yeah. The, the, the interv- there are times when I give interviews and there are times when I give conversations. The interviews with somebody I don't know all that well. We don't have like a deep history. And there are some interviews that turn into conversations because we just have such a rapport that it doesn't even feel like, oh, let me introduce you. It's like, oh, everyone knows Chuck. But this is Chuck Marcus, man. How you doing, brother? I'm good, man. How are you, man? Dude, I can't can I, I cannot complain one bit. Life is good. We out here. So to get some context to how me and Chuck first became friends, uh, I met Chuck when I was interning at Play Clothes, mm-hmm. um, doing social media, mm-hmm. and that's where I met Chuck. Yeah, hey, that's about right. That's the truth. And uh, how long ago was this? That had to be like 2015. 2015. Yeah, like 2015. Yeah, Dang. And, that's crazy. 2015 sounds so far, like so long ago, but it sounds so close. Well, it's also too. I think it's a New York thing where I was in Virginia uh, for this past weekend, and when I'm in Virginia, everything feels so much slower. Oh, the time moves slower. Yeah, everything. Moves so I'm like, I, I, you know, all of a sudden you're you're emailing, you're making some calls, and you're like eating some crabs at grandma's house. And you're like, oh, it's only three o'clock. Yeah. And I'm like, yo, it feels like I would have achieved. It feels like it's noon. <laughs> or like this time has moved so much slower, like in other environments. So I feel like in New York, you're always doing so much. That time moves so much faster. Yeah, nah, that's true, man. Like, definitely. When I go south, my whole day of calendar to think that will be all take all day, I'll be done by like three o'clock. And be like, <laughs> right. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I definitely know that feeling all too well. So, Chuck, you're originally from New York. Yeah, born and raised, man. I grew uptown, you know, grew up between Harlem and the Bronx. You know, um, I've done it all here, all right? You definitely uh, <laughs> uh, feel like an uptown person to me. One thing, coming from Virginia, I didn't really understand the, the dynamics between Brooklyn cats and Harlem cats. No, there's definitely a difference. It's a major difference. It's like coming from two different states. Yeah, it is. It's, it's a difference from talking. It's a difference from moving there's a difference from appearance yes there's a difference from just wearing the same shoe differently like there's total difference in a lot of things between uptown brooklyn queens you know even staten island like it's just a difference it's definitely you can tell like i can step into a room like he's from brooklyn he's from the harlem he's from the bronx he's from queens so we can tell easily uh describe to me the uh your upbringing in, in harlem um Mine's was pretty decent. Um, I grew up in a one-parent household. Shout out to my mom's old head. She lit. Um, just me and my two siblings. Um, mine's was good. Like I said, I was an active kid. So my mom's kept me active, so I never touched the streets. So I did. I danced my entire life. Um, transitioned that. My brother played ball. And then, like, you know, I did everything. I played the piano, violin, all that stuff. But none of those stuff stuck. Uh, dancing didn't even stick. Um, and I was, and then, you know, my dad's a photographer, so I grew up around him and the camera, I wouldn't say it stuck, but it was something that I always had, 
always had it like any type of camera and it was just a thing i liked to do in the beginning um never knew fast forwarding all my life i would be a photographer <laughs> you know what i'm saying people i grew up with wouldn't even believe that because i danced and i loved dance so much at that time that it was just like wait this is what you do for a living you don't dance anymore so yeah that's what it is well there's two things that I- i've noticed um that i asked everyone on the show it's important to me to point out that people are not just uh, these unicorn, rare, outlier people. Uh, successful people and great people are nurtured. Success is nurtured. And those two things come from your parents and geography. And so most people, if you were to ask, you know, I, I interviewed DJ Clark Kent on the, the latest podcast that came out. Mm-hmm. His mom's an opera singer. Yeah. So that gives him a legs up advantage on music. Yeah, definitely. And a different genre of music, a different aspect of looking at music. Um, but he's also was raised in New York City in an era where hip hop was budding. Yeah. And it was becoming... Something. Something. Yeah. You know, and he was just right there to, to soak up all that culture. But he has that culture in the streets. And he has that culture at home. Is that something that you can describe for yourself as well? Yeah, nah. I think um, I think my dad's style of photography that people don't understand. He's a street photographer, like super street photographer too. Like not even like not like these cool kids today who like got the digital. Like nah, he's like a street photographer who doesn't even look through the viewfinder. Like he's just pressing a button and mm-hmm. hoping that whatever he saw with his natural eye comes out. Um, and I used to just see his stuff around. And I was like, yo, this is cool. Like this is cool, you know. And I never attempted it, but I was, I guess, I always kept a. I always kept a camera. My camera for me was mostly documenting my friends and experiences. Um, and I know like when I got to college, uh, I attempted to go to college to be the camera guy. You went to FAMU? Yeah. yeah Florida A&M University. Yes. Yes. I was all day. Yeah. Uh, I went to Virginia State my freshman year. Yeah. I shall see you. VSU in the building. Yeah. Go Trojans. Yeah. Oh. Uh, what drove you to make the move out of New York? One thing is that New York City is kind of college in itself as far as there being uh, the opportunities always around you. Uh, versus maybe a little, it's a little bit different when you step outside of the New York market or LA market or Atlanta market, a major market, where opportunities uh, are just kind of around when you're here. What drove you to make the move down south for college? Um, my sister went to Clark Atlanta University. And um, me and my... like. I was my sister's son, in a sense, because my sister's 11 years older than me. So anywhere she went, she took me. And I experienced that early on. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to a black school. Like, if I'm going to go to college, I'm going to a black school. Now, I couldn't tell you what black school I was going to, but I just knew I was going to one. Um, I was, Why was that important to you? Because, man, it's just like just seeing the culture there and understanding it was kind of like home. Also, also like realizing that I was an adult, but like not realizing like the people that my sister around now are her core friends from college. You know what I'm saying? And she still has those relationships 30 years later. You know what I'm saying? Like they're all involved in each other's lives. All their, like they're God kids and all this other stuff. And it's just, it's crazy how all of them met in college and figured it out. And I just knew, I just knew that I wanted to go to an HBCU. Like I said, I couldn't tell you which one. I just knew I wanted to go to one because my sister went to one and I just, I just saw some things from there and I was like, yeah, I got to go. Like, I got to go to this. And now, actually, you know what? Another thing that was good for me, too, why I wanted to go to HBCU is because I only went to school with black and Latino kids. So I never went to school with all black kids. And I, I never went to school with all kids who were, who just wanted to be in school. 
Like I never, I experienced that when I got to college. Like everybody who looks like me and these kids were like the top of their fucking class. Like this nigga was the valid Victorian. He was the cool kid on campus. He was the homecoming king. He was the SGA president. And I'm coming from New York, not having any of that, just me being from New York. And I'm like, yo, I'm from New York. Like, and that was, that was a cool factor for me off the strength. Like, oh, you from New York? You know what I'm saying? And then, you know, all the other things fall into place. But like. I knew I wanted to be in an environment where people who look like me who wanted to excel. You know, I feel like growing up, I had those environments, but it was always like I always had like a homie who was black or a homie who was Spanish. Like it was always it was always a weird dynamic. <laughs> uh, what was your uh, your major at PMU? Uh, broadcast journalism. Interesting. Mine, mine was too at VCU. Yeah. Uh, why broadcast journalism? Was it in the realm of being an on-air personality? That was the goal, man. I wanted to be on TV, be a news anchor, um, all that good stuff. But I realized I wasn't built for the time. Like I didn't realize that it took you 10, maybe five to seven years before you even get on television. I was like, wait. Oh, this- yeah, dude. They put you in some shitty like, market. I was like, yo, this doesn't happen <laughs> when you get out of college? So, you know, I just think for me personally, like, and it's not a regret, but I always look like, damn, I wish I would have stuck at that. But like, I always, I got out there, I got out that game early. I was like, nah, I'm good off this. Like, you're not gonna like make me work this long. And not realizing, like, it's funny now because a lot of my classmates, they're on television mm-hmm. in smaller markets, but they're on television. You know what I'm saying? Not realizing, like, the years that you do for your internships and all that shit is grandfathered in with you for the rest of your life. So you could graduate 2011, but if you had, Three years of internships, that's three years of experience already. Add it to whatever you're going to get, you know? Mm-hmm. So, like, that pushed them through the market. Because a lot of my friends, like, we all interned everywhere. And we, like, excelled in the internship. So, it was just like, so, yeah. But, what was the light bulb moment for you to get into photography um, and picking up the family trade? Oh, perfect story. So, a lot of people know I used to work at Atlantic Records as an A&R assistant back in the day. And um, worked on this project with an artist. And I just remember us hiring this photographer. I think we paid him like like five bands. And he took like 30 pictures. And like they were just shitty. Like they were so shitty. And I was sitting there like, yo, bro, y'all hired him to do this? You could have hired me to do this. And y'all could have got it for way cheaper. And instantly right then and there, light bulb hit me like, y'all need to quit my job. Because where? But... Where did your college experience lead you to becoming an A&R Atlantic? Um, graduated undergrad, had a good friend who interned at Complex, basically killed his internship, or reached back out to him, like, hey, you know anybody who does uh, marketing? We're looking for some people. And he's like, oh, yeah, you should reach out to my good friend, Chuck Marcus. Um, kid I went to college with from New York, like, real cool, link with him. Ended up doing an internship with them for, like, a few months. Ended up started working with them for a while. Um, but I worked on the marketing side, so I wasn't on the cool kid side with the editorial guys and all that other shit. Um, remember my homeboy telling me like, yo, when you get in here, treat it like FAMU, take over the building. So I inserted myself to the editorial side, got cool with the marketing guy at the time who was, uh, the music director at the time who was Rob Kenner. Um, and I just hung out with him. He would go to these music events and all this other stuff. Um, and I realized like there was a, there was a ceiling for me at Complex. So I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I knew I always wanted to work in music. Um, reached back to my source, my lifeline, person who sent me to fam. I got his counsel from high school. I was like, hey, 
I got a job, but I want to try something else. She's like, which one does I want to work in the music industry? Lucked up, her husband was an A&R at mm. fucking Atlantic Records. And uh, she's like, yeah, let me see if he can get you some. Took about four to five months. Didn't work out because at that time they needed someone who was in school. And I was like, bro, I'm, I'm graduating. I'm not going back to school. Like, I'm done. So, like, you had to figure it out. Um, next thing you know, they end up, like, telling him, like, yo, you need an assistant. And he was like, all right, cool. I got the perfect assistant. Hire him. And he got me hired as his assistant. And, like, that's how I got into it. And I kind of did it, the A&R side, from a, from, a music from a production side. So a lot of beats, songwriters, working with those kind of guys. And um, it was cool. Um, I realized instantly it wasn't for me because I love music as a consumer. And I had to treat it as a job. So there were things that I like. Pardon me. That I realized were like, oh, yeah, like to you this is fire, but to them that's not a dollar sign, and it didn't work out for me. So you know, and then like I had that experience with the, with the photographer, and I was like, nah, this is God telling me, yo, you gotta go get it. So, end up just calling my dad. Like I didn't quit yet. Call my dad first. I was like, yo, bro, I need a camera. I'm about to do this photography shit. He's like, guy, how much you got? I was like, yo, I got like two bands. He's like, all right, cool. He said, I'm going to throw you an extra band. We're going to get you a camera. Got me a camera, figured it out. Um, what, I, what was their first camera? It was a Nikon D3200 crop sensor. Um, I think I paid like 500 for that joint. Okay. Had like two lenses, like a 55 to 200 in a factory joint. Like the like the 18 to 55 3.5 joint trash. Um, but I got busy with that camera for like a year and a half. Um, and I ended up booking like my first gig with it. One of my college friends ended up getting engaged and they're like, yo, we want you to shoot our engagement photos. Um, and they lived in New York at the time. So we went down to Times Square, shot this beautiful photo in the middle of Times Square, in the middle of the street from like ground level. And that started my friends to hire me. Like, oh, oh shit. Oh, you did this? Oh yeah, we got to hire you. You know, in that transition into like getting gigs and then learning stuff. And then I realized like, you know, there are seasons to this to this thing, right? Like you're very hot in the summer, fall and winter, it can it can it can slow down if you don't structure yourself correctly. Well, I always say that New York is like a college town. No one's really from New York, right? You have some people who are from here, some people are from the college town, right? But then you have 80% are here for college, which college here in New York is work. Yeah. Right? So, That's crazy. That's a great analogy, the way to look at it. The transplants are like outpopulation, the 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 natives in a sense. But yes. Because as far as work-wise, like as far as like corporate shit here, it's mostly transplants, not many natives. Natives are doing usually like, what do you call that? Government jobs. Yeah. Like <laughs> the, the things that make the city run. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but like the way I look at it is you have... Uh, uh, after Labor Day, right? Always after the first Sunday of the NFL season, people are back. So that Monday after the first Sunday of the NFL season, the city's alive again. Mm -hmm. And people are here working from September, October, November up until Thanksgiving, mm -hmm. right? After Thanksgiving, they go on their break. They go back to their hometown. They leave the college town. Mm -hmm. They come back for another two weeks to finish up the semester. 
in, in December. But then you have Christmas and then you have uh, a New Year's and then people really won't, they may go on vacation during the winter and they won't really come back until January 15th. And then after January 15th, people come back, but then your opportunities are dormant. I had a friend of mine who they raised a bunch of money for their record label. They raised like $10 million and it was May. And I was like, well, of course you got the money in May. No one's giving away $10 million in February. Like when you're cold and miserable. So all all your opportunities freeze up in the wintertime. And then after, uh, I would say April. After April, people start coming out. So I think think that's a a great way to look at it. I don't think that's true though. So I look at it like this. The summertime is for me to get active. Like to get active, be in the street, be visible, meet as many people as possible. And now it's network busy. Right? So I I think that's how I look at the summer. And then the winter is is how at least for now like cause early in the game i didn't do this but now like the winter for me is like everybody get met in the summer we need to be building projects campaigns any type of work for the winter like like so right now like i got i got projects coming up in october i got projects coming in november december in new york right now but i'm building it now because like I met these people in the summer. We've kicked it all summer. We've had great times. We even been out of town with each other, like going to different festivals. Like, oh shit, yo, I see you in the city. Da da da. da. So you know all those things. But I think like, I think the winter it doesn't dry up. And like that's what I'm trying to tell you. So like for me, coming into into my my career profession, I had to learn that like, I right, the winter's a lot different. It's a different stilo. Like it's cold. No one wants to shoot outside. Too. I don't want to shoot outside because it's fucking cold. Like, I don't want to deal with that. The elements are here. It's just a lot of things going on. And I had to find different avenues. Um, And I had a homeboy who was already doing this prior to me. And he put me on game. He was like, yo, bro, you should try to teach photography in the winter. So mm. That's why you act. He said, because you, he said, you teach in the winter. That's a steady paycheck. You don't got to worry about checks. He said, you're still doing photography. And then you got the summer off. So you could get busy all summer. So I started that for a little bit. And that was cool. But then, like... Yeah, it's just different. I had to pick up different hustles, you know? And, like, now as I got older, it's like, you know, when it's cold here, I just fly to a warmer warmer climate. Like, yo, let me just go here for a few months, do some work there, come back. So uh, uh, a lot of the great, the number one reason why I have you on the show is because I've dealt with a lot of talent giants who are legacy folks. So they were around in the era of Prince. They were people who were around before the age of digital. Mm-hmm. Uh, how have you found the market to be in digital? How have you been able to like, sell in the digital landscape? Well, I mean, it goes back to that thing you talk about with Clark Kent, like growing up with hip hop. Like I'm growing up with, I'm I'm becoming an adult with digital content. Like mm-hmm. I remember when like working at Complex, like they didn't have, a, they didn't have the position digital. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Marketing manager that didn't exist. Like they had to create that. Like I remember that. Like that's how I got my job. Like the person who I interned for, they created the position for her. And she was like, oh, I need a team. And, like, she hired me. And that's how I ended up getting my job. Because at that time, like, they didn't have that. Like, the internet was booming. But, like, having a platform for a major publication at that time was something new. And they were trying to figure it out. And that's, so if you remember those days, like, early complex days, a lot of click-based things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because we were trying to List. Drive, yeah. And top five yeah. favorites. Yeah. All of those yeah. good things. Because we were trying to drive traffic. But we're also we're trying to figure out, you know, what is this, what is this digital thing that everyone's trying to create? So, for me... To live in it, it's it's cool to see it evolve. It's cool to see me adapt to it very quickly. Um, you've you've worked with me a lot. You know, people call me a photographer. I'm a content producer. I create content. Now, what is the difference between a content producer versus a photographer versus videographer? Explain that to people. I mean, for me, like I create content. Content could be anything. That could be you drinking water. Content. We'll make it an ad. We'll sell it. We'll figure it out. Uh, I. Every every opportunity is content to me. A photographer is just a person with a camera. That's how I look at it. You know, anyone could be a photographer. I give you a camera, you're a photographer. But what can you do with that camera? Can you create something? You know, um, and I say content producing because part of me, like, I create I create a lot of things that I do. So, like, when we worked at Play Clothes, like, all those lookbooks, like, we, you see me create them from scratch. Right. Here's the idea that we want to do. All right, cool. I'm going to create a campaign out of scratch. You give me the you give me the idea. I'm gonna tell you how it should look visually, how the story should read, and then next thing you know, they implemented the models. Okay, cool. We're gonna use this person because we want them in this campaign. We're gonna use this person because we want to use them in this concept. You know, it's so that's where the at least for me the producing part comes in because I, I I I'm producing your your idea. I'm making your idea come to life, right? Something that's in your head that you were able to put on paper, and now you can see that thing that you put on paper come visual. And it's like something you can touch, and you're like, "Oh yeah, like we created this." So like that's how I think that's the difference, at least for me. Like a photographer is just a person with a device, a camera, not even a device, just a camera, you know? Because that's the thing too. Like you know, cameras now are like they're like accessories. Funny, I walk around New York City, people do wear like their camera, like <laughs> it's a chain. It. Yeah. Um, well, to me, the lines are blurred between being a content producer and art direction. Mm-hmm. Um, could you get some clarification? On so, the two. So art direction is just the person who's like, who's like giving you literally like, this is the direction. So Chris was the art director. And that's- in Chris that Goins. Shout out to Chris Goins. Yeah. The man. Yeah. So like Chris was the art director in that situation. Like he like basically say, yo, I want to do something with this towel. Make something out of this towel. And I came back and was like, all right, cool. We're going to tell the story with this towel this way. We'll have a picture with the person holding the towel. We'll have a picture with the towel right around the person's shoulder. We'll have the picture with the towel wiping the sweat. Like, that's the story. But he just gave me the art direction. Like, I need you to do something with this. Got it. You know, and we told the story that way. Um, I think that's the difference. At least that's how at least that's how I interpret it, you know? So it's almost like the art director. And it's something that I, I know before the folks on the on the show who are learning more about the industry. The art director is more of the coach. They draw up the play. Like, look, I want you to score a three-pointer here with eight seconds left. And then the player is the content producer yeah. to execute the shot. Execute it, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 
And, and so um, when we met, we were at Play Clothes. But where did you leave and go after Play Clothes? Um, I went and did my own thing. Um, and that's just because Play Clothes gave me so much leverage. You know, I had so much access to people in there. And, I, you know, like I told you, when I was at Complex, they told me I'll take care of the rooms. Or anytime somebody came through Play Clothes, I was networking and building. And I kind of went and did my own thing. I started working with um, Sirius for a little bit, doing some projects over there. Then I went back and did some things with Kif for a little bit. To me, too, you also kind of represent the millennial entrepreneur in the sense that back in the day, like the same friend I was talking to, and I was like, look, in 10 years, you won't have a job because even though you're putting, you're making things or being mass distributed, they don't have your name on it, right? And I think the way that the internet is going is in a very micro media, uh, micro brand era that we're living in. And I think you've been able to, you've been able to capitalize um, on that as well. When was there a light bulb moment for you as far as creating your own brand? It's not just photography. So, so, like so many times, there's so many amazing back, basketball players, there's, but there's only one Jordan. And the reason why is a lot of it to do with the marketing, is understanding marketing. Okay. I see where you're going here. Do, do, do you agree? Yeah, no. I see, what, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, Magic Johnson was amazing. Yeah, no. Nah, Larry right. Bird was amazing. Yeah, but because Dr. J was amazing. But, but Jordan had a brand of sneaker and you know i I see that that makes sense he was kind of the first like macro micro brand yeah yeah, that's that's very accurate um what what was that light bulb moment for you uh because where did that come from where does that idea come from of saying hey honestly everything is stolen i stole it shout out to my man ishmael calligraphist i stole it i seen this kid good friend of mine early on i see yo this kid is popping I saw his name so much, I never knew who he was. But I just saw his name. Everyone, he had pictures from everyone. Celebrity, non-celebrity, the local person, my friend. Like, yo, this kid took a picture. Who is this kid? And I took, I just took the same format and made it my own. Um, but the difference between me and him, he had to watermark his pictures. Mm. Because people wasn't giving his photo credit. For me, I emphasized, like, yo, give me photo credit. And then I always do my own before there were filters and all that stuff, I had my own style of editing. And I always do that characteristic on it. So when you see it, like now when you see pictures of mine, you know, like, oh yeah, yeah, Chuck Marcus took that. Like I could tell by the tones. I could tell by the coloring. Like it's a Chuck Marcus photo, you know, but I took it from him and just kind of like added my twist to it, you know, because I wasn't, I've never been big on watermarking, you know, this is not my thing. Just if you give me photo credit, the photo credit's going to trickle. Mm. Because it's, it's just it's a thing like oh yeah this person took it this person took it so if if Play Close posted it you saw it you liked the picture you're gonna post it and tag me you saw it like it, your friend's gonna post it and tag me and it just it's a trickle effect you know where in his case I mean he has it great too because double he has a double sword like he has his watermark on it so before you even see the caption you could see that oh calligraphist took this. You know what I'm saying? So it's that. Do you think that watermarking at all uh, cheapens the value of the photo? I don't think it cheapens the value. I think um, depending on what your watermark is, mine's is my logo. Like, I'm never going to just put words. You know, some people do words because it's simplistic. Yeah. It's easy. It's not so distracting. I know my logo's a tad bit distracting because it's green and it's my name. It's like a stamp. I already know it's distracting, so I just don't even use it that much. But... 
I want that logo to be identified too. So it's like if I'm on something, they see the the name Chuck. Like you don't even got to think like who's Chuck. Like you just know oh, yeah, that's Chuck Marcus. Like we know. Uh, let's say like back in the early '90s uh, with hip hop, which is considered the golden era uh, of hip hop, but it was also a very regional. Yeah, definitely regional perspective right yeah. like every rapper came from new york city new york city is the origin of hip-hop and so you weren't really dope if you didn't really come from new york and you may have had a little scene somewhere else uh la definitely was doing its thing but if you weren't really in new york or la uh you weren't really being looked at uh but with the wave of the internet things have really opened up mm-hmm. uh I, i've interviewed some photographers who come from the golden era of photography who were you know on tour with major acts like bob marley or Michael Jackson, uh, but because they there was no there no, no Instagram at that time, their work really uh, wasn't really seen. They weren't celebrated um, the way that folks maybe are now. How has Instagram and digital technology played a role in exposure for you individually? I mean, it it definitely gives me longevity in the sense where like if I stop taking pictures today, people would know like oh he was a photographer at one point. Because the evidence is there, mm. and it's the internet. Nothing on the internet dies. You can always find it. There's always a way to find it. So, like, it gives you longevity in that sense. Um, but it's also like, yo, bro, the internet is the best thing created. Like, it is. And if you use it correctly, like, you can go far. Like, you can go really far with it. Um, I'm not gonna lie. I'm piss poor when it comes to the internet as far as social media. Um, and that's just because I just don't care. I value real life relationships i don't have time just to like post my day and all of the stuff i i try to do it i'm trying to get better with it but i'm more about the the like genuine like genuine interaction like if i meet you let's rap let's build like i want your phone number i don't want your social media like text me like call me i'm gonna talk to you like i'm more of a call person too like and people who get to know me they know i don't really do texting like i'm gonna call you like yo what's up you all right you good all right you know so i mean like for me that's what it is but social media is definitely I got like it's a way to get out there. I and I and I try to tell like especially like the younger kids who always like come out like yo how can I do it? I'm like bro you if you you come from this era like you're a social you're already social media inclined like you do this twenty four seven just apply that to photography. If you're gonna take pictures, always post your pictures. Always like just drop the content, give it away. That's another thing too that photographers do. They, they tend to hold shit like let that shit live, like give it away. Some of the best Instagram photographers are lit because they gave away content. They just posting crazy. Just consistently. Yeah, four times a day, three times a day. They just posting pictures. You know what I'm saying? Like those are the those those are the guys who like in the early days of Instagram, like not now, like now everyone has K's. But we're talking about like 2012, 2013. Those guys like who now are like eight, a hundred thousand followers, you know what I'm saying? And they photographers. Those guys in 2012, 2013 were at like 20,000 followers because they were dropping four to five pictures a day. Just mm. giving you content here. You could have it, you know? And I always say I, I joined that, I joined that, I joined that wave late. You know, it's my fault though, because I, I just didn't want to do that. I didn't want to stuff constantly in your face. And also too, like, I just wanted to save my pictures. And I was like, yo, what am I holding this for? Well, well, I, I think there's, I don't know. I, I think it's it's a a double edged sword. And correct me if if you think differently. Where you can get caught up in the numbers, it's almost like a person who has a number one song on the Billboard charts. 
But if your catalog sucks, does it really matter? You just have a number one song and you're kind of here today or gone tomorrow versus the aspect of quality uh, and, and just producing quality because uh, Instagram is kind of becoming the uh, where I don't get people's numbers. I get your Instagram because your Instagram is to me your your business card. Mm-hmm. Uh, it lets me know what you're working on. Like, yeah. And it's not even a matter if you have 300 followers or 3 million followers. It's about, oh, this is what you're about. Uh, the mutual connections. Like, who are our mutual friends? Or, you know, who are, like, what are you working on currently? That's what I'm most impressed by. Do you feel the same way? Is that like more of a focus for you? Yeah, no, nah, yeah. Because it helps me align with the right people, right? Um, doing things with different companies and stuff, it just happened that way. And it's all through Instagram, you know? I've had, because I'm, I'm I don't know, you're following me. But I like Clark Kent's picture, and then Clark Kent commented on my picture, and now that's on your explore page. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm. and it's like, oh, this kid knows Clark Kent. I've been seeing him so many times, didn't know, and then trying to get to Clark Kent. You know, so now Instagram has created this social friendship, and I say social meaning social media, because it's not really like a face to face thing. We're just interacting so much through mm. social media. You know what I'm saying? And then, like, it's a thing. But I think, yeah, I think we definitely get lost in the numbers. Are you allowed to speak on some of the brands you're currently working with? Yeah, I mean, I'm doing work with a few brands. I'm working with Adidas, um, working with Foot Locker and Foot Action. What is the best way to navigate working with big brands? Have you made a mistake working with big brands before? Like, what is the most common mistake that, that you've made? I under I undercharge. That was my mistake. How do you know what to charge? By seeing my friends who do exactly what I do and they're telling me, you all making this. And I'm like, you made that? So asking directly? Literally. But these are my friends, right? Like, right, right, not, right. These are not like some random people. Like These are people I've built relationships with. But I'm like, yo, they paid you that? And he's like, yeah. He says, yo, they can pay you that. Like, you just got to ask for it. And like, like you know, it's been a year for me this year. It's like, yo, ask exactly for what you want. No matter the outcome. They tell you, no, it's okay. Someone's going to pay for it, you know? And, like, mm-hmm. that's literally what's happening. Um, but, yeah, I think um, that's the difference for me. And then also, too, like, also, like, really building a relationship with the brand, too. Like, before, I used to just work for a brand, do the project, wait for them to hit me back. Now I'm, like, doing a project, coming back to the office, spending some time in the office, talking to some more people in the office, you know, and, like, getting myself acclimated with the people around. With every person on the show, I typically ask them uh, the same question to close out the interview, mm-hmm. uh, which every person has achieved or pursuing a certain level of greatness. So many times in life, we look on television and we go, wow, that person's lit, or that person's popping, or like if that performance was dope, Beyonce's performance was ill, I want to be like Beyonce. Uh, but we don't know the sacrifices that Beyonce has given up to pursue that level of greatness, right? Uh, there's only 24 hours in a day. Uh, what have you given up in your pursuit uh, of greatness? Mm, that's a great question. I gave it stability. I say stability because, like, like, we talked about earlier. Like, I could have just did the broadcast journalism, cushy job, figure it out. But I follow, like, my, like, true passion. And, like, in doing that, like... Some jobs were consistent, and then some jobs I was a little rocky. And then some years I was just like, yo, dogs, how did I make it through this year? You know, like how? 
you know, by the grace of God, thank God for all the stuff he's done. But it's just like the stability is what I gave up to chase my dream. And now my stability, like right now, I'm currently at a stable like space. Like I'm stable in my career, in what I'm doing, and I'm doing something I love. So it's not work, it's fun. You know, I enjoy all the things I'm doing, you know, and things of that nature. Hmm. But Chuck Marcus, oh, wait, how, how do we find you on Instagram? <laughs> <laughs> the typical question. Hey, you know. Um, all social channels is uh, Chuck Marcus, C-H-U-C-K-M-A-R-C-U-S. On Instagram, look for the green dot. Yeah, that's all I could tell you. Um, everything else is my picture. Um, ChuckMarcus.com. We out here. Come show love. Um, if you want to rap, you want book a shoot. I'm very cheap, as I like to say. Feel free to email me. All those information is there. Um, thank you, Corey, for putting me on the Silent Giant. No, you know what? Let me say first. You know, there. As I see Chuck today, I was going through some things here in New York, and I was just like, rah. And Chuck, you've always been a brother. There's people that you are, you know, your colleagues with. Or your associates. And then people are like, you know what, man, you're a brother. When I'm having a bad day, I'm like, fam, <laughs> I'm going to get it together for this interview. Let me vent for a second. But you've always been a very humble guy, a very hardworking guy, a very passionate guy, and uh, just a very real person. And I appreciate you. And I encourage everyone to work with Chuck because of that. You're not working with someone with talent. You work with someone with talent who's also real at the same time. Oh, man, appreciate that. Yo, those, are, those are true words. Look. I always say it's good to work with people that you would invite to your wedding. Oh, dang. That's, yo, that's amazing. Because niggas don't get invited to the wedding. <laughs> yo, that's so amazing. If you could work with people that you would invite to your wedding, you're really hitting the sweet spot. Yo, that's, yo, that's, yo, that's, yo, you need to tweet that. That's, <laughs> that's phenomenal. Hey, Chuck Marcus, I love you, brother. Everybody, check him out. We out of here. Thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode of the Silent Giants podcast and to our special guest, Chuck Marcus. I'll have the links to Chuck's website and social media in the description of this episode. This episode was mixed by Mark Bird. And lastly, before we get out of here, be sure to check out my other show, OPP. Other People's Podcast is the TRL of podcasting. Every week, I interview America's top podcasters and learn more about them and the dope shows they created. I'll provide the link for you in the description of this episode. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Pod bless. Till next time. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.